This the title of this morning's Dharma talk is it's complicated. I mean, not the title, but that is the title. It's complicated. It's so uh, extremely simple, uh, moment by moment, but it's so complicated when we look at all of this pile of stuff that's behind us called our past. Uh, we've done this, we've done that, this has happened, that's happened, then we did this, then we did that. And that's just this lifetime. And no, I'm not here to promote past lives. That's up to you. If you think that's the case, then go there. If you don't, don't worry about it. So, since it's so complicated, since we have so much difficulty uh, uh, dealing with all this complication, you know, you know what I mean. I mean. When you're talking to your partner, your mate, your mom, your dad, brother, sister, your co-workers, it's complicated. You know, you try to have a simple conversation about some simple situation, and all of a sudden you get overloaded by all of their ideas, their thoughts, their judgments about you, their opinions about uh, this, that, and the other thing. It's complicated. But if you try, if you get sucked into that complication, then it's like trying to deal with a, with a tornado by walking into it. Not a good idea. What can we do about that? So 2,500 years ago, the Buddha, the historical guy that this carving is supposed to represent, uh, he uh, left his kingdom, as the story goes, who knows what really happened, and went into the, the forest and began to uh, practice with other uh, uh, people who were trying to understand the nature of reality. And he discovered something about it. And he discovered that uh, several things, but one of the things that he discovered is very simple, not complicated. This, this statement is very simple. Everything, that's a lot, that's, that's the complicated part. Everything that looks like all of these separate things, our thoughts, our memories, our feelings, our what happened last Thursday, all the things that have ever been said to us by our brother, all the things we ever said back to our brother, that's a, sim- that's a very simple one, and that's, low, that's literally, probably... Millions of words. All of that, the Buddha said, everything, everything, count them. You can't. It's too many. You can't just start by uh, uh, the traditional word for a lot of things. A traditional metaphor is the sands of the Ganges, which is the river in India. Ganges, the sands of the Ganges. Yeah, quite a few little pieces of sand there. The Buddha said that everything is dependently arisen. Everything is dependent, dependent, you know, all know what dependent is, dependently arisen. It's dependently arisen. One, a thing by itself, anything, the last thought you had before I opened my mouth is dependent on all the other thoughts you've had, all the thoughts you, all the people you've listened to, everything you've done, everything that's been done to you, dependently arisen. Even your idea of who you are, yourself, your, your image of yourself, your persona, your identity, you know, who, uh, uh, wh- what happens when you say to somebody in conversation, well, I'm the kind of person that really likes rainbows. You know, I don't like thunderstorms. Give me a rainbow anytime. So I'm the kind of person that, I'm the kind, next time you say that, I'm the kind of person that, stop. Shut up. How's that? Shut up. 
I'm the kind of person, uh, and then just let it trail off, and then look at the person you're about to say that to. See what happens on their face. They're not going to go, yeah, what kind of person are you? No, they're going to be in the same situation that you're in. Why? Because everything is dependently arisen. Every time you open your mouth, the other person depends, or you could use the word depends, on what you say so that they know what, they, what they're going to say. It's called a conversation. It's a, it's a rather foolish activity most of the time. Conversations are, they go round, they go round, unless you get a cup of coffee. And then if you got a, a cell phone that can interrupt the boring thing people, that people are saying to you, just a minute, i got to check my... I have an important message here. You know what I mean. Dependently arisen. Everything that arises that looks like a singularity, looks like it has a, an identity, is dependent on everything, all these 10,000 things, the sands of the Ganges, uh, Ganges, I should say, dependently arisen. What are you going to do about that? What did the Buddha do about that 2,500 years ago? The, the, where this lineage of Buddhism, which is not a belief system, Buddha, Buddhists don't believe in Buddha. This is a really low-level, kind of sixth-grade understanding of what Buddhism is. Most people walk around with that presumption about Buddhism. <clears throat> don't correct them. They're not ready for it. Unless they ask you, what is Buddhism? Then you might say, Mm, it's a spiritual path? And you could say it with a question mark at the end, just in case you're wrong. <laughs> Very complicated. What did the Buddha... The Buddha looked at suffering. He looked at the cause of suffering. And he looked at uh, if the possibility of suffering could come to an end. And he prescribed a path leading to that ending. So he saw suffering or difficulty or, or pain or... Uh, discomfort of all kinds, which there, you name it. I mean, you, we could all come up with a uh, short list. And he said, that's caused by desire. In other words, whatever is happening that you're suffering with is caused by wanting things to be different than they are. You, you, you don't want what is happening. You want something else. And this is the, the, this is what happens, uh, in order for there to become more suffering and more difficulty and more stress. We do it so much that eventually it becomes invisible and all we can see is the suffering and we can't find the source of it because it's so, what, complicated. It's very, very complicated. I'll say that again. Make sure everybody's listening. It's complicated. There's a great movie called It's Complicated. You should see it. It's quite funny. Much different than what I'm saying. Much funnier. So, life of suffering, the cause is desire or wanting things to be different. And this can come to an end. That was the third noble truth. And the last one is the way in which this can come to an end is through discipline and through uh, meditation and through wisdom. Shila, samadhi, and prajna are the fancy Sanskrit words for it. Shila, samadhi, and prajna. Sit down, shila, discipline, hold still. Look at it, samadhi. And see what's true, wisdom. See what is actually true. Nobody can tell you the truth. I mean, you know, relative truth. Yes, I stole your lipstick. So they could tell you something like that. But they can't tell you what is ultimately true when it comes to life and death and what this whole situation of being a living being is really about. Religions, uh, whether it's Islam, uh, Judaism, Hinduism, 
Buddhism for that matter, all come up with some kind of idea about what this is. It's not in Buddhism, it's not to be believed or disbelieved. You don't have to necessarily believe in this, believe in some kind of a guy who lived 2,500 years ago, but you could listen to what was said, and then you could see if that makes sense, if that makes sense to you on some level. Does it make sense to see that everything is dependently arisen? Is that something you can understand? If you begin to look and find any singularity, anything, and see that whatever you have is dependent on everything else. This is depending on the tree that it was carved from. And the shape of this is dependent on the carver. And the carver is dependent on his mother and father getting together at exactly a particular time to have him so that he could carve this later on. He was quite old when he did this. Twelve, I think. No, this is not a hatch pipe. <laughs> Probably like a good one. So what I'm saying is everything is dependently arisen. Everything that you can see that's a little tiny twinkling spot is dependent on everything else for its apparent appearance, including your thought patterns, including your mind, including your heart pumping, including uh, anything you can find that's something that's what we call phenomena, anything you can find, anything you can locate and single, uh, uh, single out. It could be something as, as uh, uh, difficult to actually locate as a thought. Have you noticed how you can't find a thought? You have them. You know, we can't see the front of them. We can't see the back of them. We can't see the middle. We know we're having thoughts, but we're not exactly sure what those are. They don't kind of come in little packages, all tied up. So the Buddha, 2,500 years ago, said, this is a way of, of approaching this suffering, this difficulty, and this dependent origination, which leads us to go in the circle, like chasing our tail, so to speak. He said... Simplify this, the complicated part. And how do you do that? The only thing you have any real say-so over is your body. You notice you can't control your thoughts? If you can control your thoughts, you just have happy thoughts. You wouldn't even be here. You'd be probably out at the mall having happy thoughts. That's also called a two-year-old. Happy, happy. So what he discovered in his life was that a, a way, and this could have been taught to him by someone else, we don't know if he stumbled onto it, probably it was taught by his teachers, he had two of them. Sit down, hold still. This is the only, you can't find the mind, or you could just silence it, or quiet it down, or calm it down, or say, like you would do to a, uh, a dog, you know, lay down, or be quiet. So we can't do that with the mind, but we can find our body. And body and mind are not really separate. Again, dependently arisen. They look separate. It looks like you can drive to drive to a, um, a Walmart and think about driving to Kmart. There won't be a Kmart pretty soon. We're getting rid of those because of Amazon. So, but you notice how you can think about one thing. So you can you can divide it up somewhat. But fundamentally, if you continue to do that, uh, you do it some, at some point where it gets so far apart that it's called, uh, what is the word for that? Insanity, yes. Insanity. You're crazy. It's called schizophrenia. And if it bounces back and forth too fast, it's called psychosis. Fancy words that we don't use in Buddhism, but as a Buddhist monk, I can say whatever I want. And I'll also say, don't believe anything I say. Don't believe it. Don't disbelieve it. Don't believe it. Don't do anything with it. 
listen, you're here, you might as well. So we can find the body of what did the Buddha discover 2,500 years ago, as far as we know. And Buddhists down through the centuries, there's been uh, hundreds of thousands of them, probably more. Sit down, hold still, and watch the complications. Don't add to them. Don't try to grab onto some of them and twist them around or manipulate them so that they simplify or so that they'll mind or so that you won't be plagued by anxiety or whatever. But find the mind. Find this mind by holding very still. Just observe what continues to move. Because what continues to move is your particular version of making things complicated. It's your particular version of adding things on. Something arises, maybe a thought or emotion or memory from the past. And instead of just letting it rise and fall away, like weather, we jump on it. And we do something with it. We want to push it down. I don't want to think that. I can't be thinking that. Or I really like to think about it. I need to figure that out. I need to calculate. I need to figure things out. If you do that too much, your posture will change from this to this. Hmm. Oh, this is not getting anywhere. So what am I saying? Hold the body in a very symmetrical position. Don't slouch. If you're slouching right now, which you could be, your mind as takes on the same like if I gave my Dharma talks like this, hey, what up? <laughs> All right. What's going on, man? If I did that, then my Dharma talk would take on that same shape. And I'm not saying it would be, wouldn't be okay. It would be kind of stupid. But it would probably also wouldn't be very helpful. So... Posture is very important. How you go out with her. Thank you. Posture is very important. How you hold your uh, body. I'm not talking about being rigid, just saying very back straight, very still. The mind will, over time, will begin to align itself with that, pull it with that, uh, 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 that, uh, what's it called? When both sides look the same? Symmetrical. Thanks. I know it was something like that. So your mind will be will take on a kind of symmetry, or the other fancy word for that is equanimity. The other one is balance, or equality, or sameness. What else? Yes. Sameness and difference. It's the same, but it's different. So, just like if you look at anyone's face, you'll notice the same, but if you look very closely, you'll notice no one has a symmetrical face. Everyone has one nostril slightly larger than the other one. Well, occasionally. Maybe it's you. You should cherish that. <laughs> Instead of getting plastic surgery. So, you know, your nose could be here, your nose could be this way. You know, you could have, like with me, I have one eyelid hangs down, one eyelid comes up. It's deliberate. When I'm by myself, they're totally even. (laughs) (laughs) 
So this idea of simplifying, sitting down, holding still, and it's not something we're here to, it's not propaganda. I'm saying, check this out. See if this is something that would work for you. This is not for everyone to do. It's extremely difficult to add into your already busy life uh, meditation practice or an awareness practice to somehow plug in even another, another hour a day. If you've got 24 hours, sleep seven or eight, nine hours, and then you have your job or you have your other activity. And then, you know, it's, it's really interesting how that other hour, we just don't, we can't quite give up that hour and just have only 23 left. Difficult. Excuse me, but you got to start somewhere. And if this is something that makes sense to you, that you want to do, then I highly recommend, if you're going to become a Buddhist, I do not care about that at all. That's up to you. But you could, at somewhere in your life, in your when you get up in the morning, you could find a spot where you could just sit down, <coughs> simplify, just simplify your mind and how that feels at first, and possibly for the first several weeks, several months, maybe even years, depending on how many lifetimes you've been... Uh, chasing around after something, or running from something, same thing. Find some time, sit down, find a bell, get a water glass. That works. Not too much different. Strike the bell, hold still. And with an attitude of simplicity, approach or allow the complications to arrive. Be a good host or hostess. Be a good host. Receive whatever's coming. If you hold very, very still, this is a very dignified, upright, sane position. This is just about sanity. This is not about, about believing in this guy. It's not about any kind of belief, particularly. So hold very still and give everything your attention. Anything that moves, watch. Don't add to it. That shouldn't be moving. That shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't be thinking this. I shouldn't be feeling this way. As soon as you add on any kind of analysis to it, you make it what? More complicated, yes. And which means more circulars and more lifetimes. Chasing something, running from something, falling asleep, behind the barn. We have a few minutes before the daily Dharma gathering. If you have questions, I'm happy to respond to them. Only complicated because we make them complicated. Well, that's certainly part of it, and it's because of wanting, <coughs> wanting things to be different. Things are might be twenty-five uh, percent uh, complicated, and because we enter into it, and we're not willing to just let that be what it is, we want it different. We want it better. We want twelve percent complication. So we go in and we hammer on it and think we can make it change, and that just causes more uproar. And why? Because we don't really see the entire situation. <clears throat> Before you act on anything, that's why I often say to people who consider themselves students of mine, don't do anything unless you have to. If you do something that you don't absolutely have to do, then you're probably doing it out of impulse or out of fear. Got to do something. Or out of hope. Maybe this will work. I think I'll go out to the casino. Somebody's got to win. Yeah, but it's not going to be you. <laughs> Somebody's going to win. Because the odds against it are uh, quite stacked. If you're going to go to the casino, at least go see an astrologer first and see if you're born a lucky person. <laughs> or a palm, palm reader, that would work. 
More? Earlier, you said this makes sense. Um, what, what did you mean by the, the message making sense? What makes sense? What does? Like the message makes sense to us, maybe we should pursue it further. I'm saying if you see, <coughs> excuse me, if the words that I'm saying somehow click or align with your what you've been dealing with in your life, if they don't, please don't do it. This is not propaganda. I'm not here to sell you anything. I don't have anything for sale. But I'm saying, what I'm saying is based on about half a century of doing this, getting close to it. And I'm just saying that sitting down, holding still, train the mind so you can see clearly, so you can be sane, so you don't have to answer to anybody. As my teacher, Kobanchina Roshi, said, get your own authority. Nobody, nobody just tells me what to do. I don't listen to anybody. But I also don't ignore anybody. I listen to everyone. I wouldn't. I would have been uh, uh, been here a lot sooner if it hadn't been for my wife. <laughs> <laughs> How does it feel to be blamed? <laughs> no, I'm not blaming. No, it was a mutual thing. Mary, you have a question. Um, can you explain or maybe break down whether I think the simple way to do it, uh, to try to understand uh, one of the basic teachings of the Buddha is dependent origination. Everything is dependent on everything else for its apparent uh, singularity or identity. Is that you can't, have, uh, the, one of the best things to look at is look in the mirror and whatever you're seeing there could not have happened. I mean, you didn't do it. You didn't born yourself. You couldn't do it. If you look there, you'll see that it's it's amazing. But you had your mother and your dad, the two completely different people who were born different places and didn't even meet each other, more than likely, uh, got together and you conceived you and you were born. So dependent, your singularity is dependent on theirs. Theirs is dependent on someone else. Just human beings alone, not to mention uh, turtles, frogs, and snakes. You know, everything else is dependent on everything else. So th that, huh? Do we have any, can we affect that in any way? We... Yes. And here's how you, thank you. Here's how you affect it. Stop meddling with it. Stop meddling with everybody and don't ever give anybody any advice again. Please stop. <laughs> stop it. Because your advice is based on your own craziness. Your advice is based on your own confusion. I'll be giving the advice here. <laughs> and of course, what I'm saying, along with the, what I'm talking about, I'm also saying don't do this unless you have to. So I'm saying I want, I respect your intelligence and your your clarity and your craziness. I ha you have to ex uh, respect both parts of any human being to really help them. You have to be with their craziness and stop trying to fix them. You have to be with that. This is what a, a really good mother or father does with their child. They they don't meddle with them. They they nurture them so they can grow up to be. Uh, uh, kind, loving beings. Now, this doesn't say that the last, the lifetime before that, they weren't a murderer. So you might have your work cut out for you there. Yes? If a person feels that they have an epiphany, um, is that considered to still be dependent? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything that happens is dependent on everything else that's happening. Right. And an epiphany is fun. Whoa. What, that kind of little epiphany? Yeah. yeah. Like, whoa. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Like, Got it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it could be dependent on what you just smoked. <laughs> and it could be dependent on on your on aspects of your life that you never looked at before. It could have just come out of nowhere. It could be a religious epiphany. It could be uh, some kind of a spiritual uh, understanding that that has come to you. The thing it, with any kind of experience that comes to you, what it will go away. Nothing lasts. The only thing that lasts is something that has not appeared. Now listen to me here. You'll learn a lot. I did. Something that arises has to go away. So anything that's happening to you that's arising, I don't care how wonderful, how magnificent, how great the feeling is, it's leaving on the afternoon train. It's leaving at some point. It might stay there for three weeks. You might be able to keep it going for quite a while, but it does not last. It, it eventually caves in, crumbles, crumbles, comes apart, just like our country is coming apart, just like the world is coming apart. This is not the first world, you know. There have been worlds uh, from, how do I know? I don't know. That's how I know. If you know things, all the things you know blocks up all you're not knowing. If you grasp at your ideas and thoughts and opinions, you might as well be sticking uh, uh, leeches all over your face. Well, not exactly. A couple of leeches. You follow me? You're blocking up. So what doesn't arise what arises goes away, but what doesn't arise can't go away. So what doesn't arise, listen to me, this is so important. This is an ultimate teaching, I'm telling you. I'm pointing out the nature of your mind right now. You ready? What does not arise does not go, go away. And who you actually are has not come into existence and cannot pass out of existence. It's called eternity, is a simple word for it. And it's always the case. The bodies come and go. But who you are can't go anywhere. Ha ha. <laughs> yes. So if everything that arises and falls is dependent on something, what would be considered independent? Uh, independent would be uh, not separate. If you if you see that who you actually are is not separate, then you are independent. And why are you independent? You want me to finish? Please. Because you're not separate. <laughs> you'd have to be, you'd have to be uh, uh, separated in order to be dependent on the other thing you're separated from. But if you're not separate from anything that arises, including everything that arises, you're not separate from it, then you're independent because there isn't anybody but you. This is a relative way of saying it. Contemplate that for the next 20 or 30 years. You're young. What are you, 20? 20. Another 23-year-old there. <laughs> what do you mean by relative? Uh, not absolute. <clears throat> relative means there's more than one. There are the, the 10,000 things, the sands of the Ganges, or Ganges, I should say. You've got to learn to pronounce that right. Somebody will be correcting me here. Simple. Uh, absolute doesn't come or go, doesn't move, doesn't do anything. Is there something 
Did you, did you want to do uh, Maria's? Maria's? Go ahead. Yeah, I think this is from a previous talk. She has three questions. Maria from Toronto. Yes, go ahead. She asks, dropping awareness to my heart brings often an extreme pain. Is it just my pain or something of the larger nature? Uh, I, I don't do multiple choice. So, but I, I, if I just take that as a question, I would say don't worry about it. Do it anyway. But do less. If it's painful, then just do it. Just take just take small bites of it. Return to it. Just basically do a, a, a breath awareness or whatever, a Maria, whatever you're doing, and then occasionally uh, make that movement. Just means you're very sensitive, that's all. But do it anyway, a little bit. Go ahead. Next the second question. question Next um, am I supposed to observe the heart or feel it? Both. If we go into there, and then we've got concepts. So I would say just, just go towards it, and if it seems to be a feeling... Seems to be an observation. Just, just be with, just with that. And this is based on a teaching I did a little while ago. Is drop, drop down out of your mind into your heart and come up out of your gut into your heart. So don't think with your gut. Don't do it. You'll kill people. Yeah, but you're not going to kill anybody out of your heart, including yourself. But let this beat. It actually doesn't beat. The actual heart doesn't beat at all. Yes. And the last question, um, what is the relationship uh, of heart between heart and mind? Uh, sometimes they're used uh, uh, sheen. There's sometimes as a Chinese word, Japanese word. Sometimes they're used uh, interchangeably. Heart-mind are, are brought together. Uh, the, when I say mind, in this uh, uh, situation, I'm saying the thinking process of analyzing, you know, thinking about, uh, comparing, contrasting, and so on, and trying to navigate between good and bad and success and failure. That, that kind of mind uh, can also uh, drop into the heart, and then they're, they're not dissimilar. Maybe one more question. One more question. Do we have one? Yes, sir. What is the relationship between choice and everything being dependent? Uh, if you see that, if you begin to see that everything is dependently arisen, you'll see that everything is choiceless. You really don't make choices. Your karma makes choices for you. Because you can't just suddenly out of nowhere decide to move to Siberia. There needs to be dependent things happening to cause that to even be a choice for you or to move to Indiana. That something will arise and come and move this way and that way, and then something about your job and what you do, all the causes and conditions will come together that that will arise as a potential place for you to go, and then you'll either not go, choiceless, or you'll go, choiceless. And the way it's choiceless is we, we don't really choose out of our clarity. We choose out of our uh, confusion. I'm not saying it can't be a good choice. Relatively, you could move there and you could say, this is the greatest move I ever made, which makes it look like choice works. doesn't work. I mean, it's, it's still dependently arisen. So to be totally clear on what this is is also choiceless, but then there's a clarity about you have no say-so about anything. It's called get your own authority, and which is the discovery there. Here's some more of this secret teaching again. There is no authority. Unless there is, and that's no authority. It has to be done that way. We have to talk about that way. We've tried to talk about it or in a relative way and pin it down. We're taking these uh, transcendent teachings and bringing them down to uh, some kind of level where we can uh, play uh, Scrabble. Mary? When I asked 
we had a new, we had um, uh, a spot near Fannie and Yep. Now we're doing choice. From the point of view of choice or no choice, it's, it's choiceless because you, 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 we make choices, but they're, the areas in which we make choices are, are based on they're they're based on your your idea of value, which is choiceless, but it comes from somewhere. We like this more than this. Sometimes we think, uh, you know, I mean, go ahead, try to convince me that chocolate's better than vanilla, and see how that works. You follow me? I'm being simplistic about it, but it's that kind of a thing that starts to show up. You don't choose the shape of your ears. You don't you don't really choose those things. Those occur. So you said. In any given day, we make thousands of decisions. We do. But you're saying that it's choices. Yeah, it's because it's based on our conditioning. We have the ego thinks he, she, they are making a choice. Well, uh, well, you got, you got to make good choices. Well, this is just, what is that word? Horse manure? Yes, horse manure. Yeah. Now, there are people with completely good intention that are telling you, you need to make good choices. You need to. They're teaching from a different paradigm, not incorrect. We're not saying that you shouldn't look and say, it's better that I go to this place than that place. It's better that I take on this job. Or it's better that I stay out. That relationship is not so good for me. When I get in there, I get in trouble. So we're not saying that that isn't happening. Of course it is. Of course we need to look at it like that. But the fundamental situation is to, through uh, sitting practice of meditation, is to realize how choiceless this, this whole situation fundamentally is. Go look in the mirror. This is the way I say it. Go look in the mirror and say, here's the person who's about to make the choices. Well, who, choose, who chose this person? Did you choose this body? Did you choose this sex, this skin color, this uh, uh, intelligence quotient? I mean, what, however you want to say it. This height? This, and this is just a little bit of things. I mean, just to be a human being. Choiceless. Yes. So based on this concept of dependence, would you say that there's really such a thing as spontaneity? Well, spontaneity is, uh, is a, it's a very valuable, but it's not uh, impulsiveness. Impulsiveness is based on hope and fear and on ego and wanting to be a show-off. But spontaneity is, spontaneity, if it's actually happening and happens to everyone here, is when you're actually acting out of no self. But you don't know it because you're so used to having some kind of a, person or identity or a success-failure modality happening with your identity. But yeah, spontaneity, spontaneity is here all the time. That's the way I teach. I have no idea what I'm going to say when I come in here. I just start running my mouth. People stay, so it must be okay. We have to close. Okay, we're going to close for Daily Dharma Gathering.